Welcome to the Show Means to Podcast. I'm Zach Lawhorn, and today I'm joined by Dr. Susan Pennegrass and Abby Barola from the Show Me Institute. Today we're going to do something a little bit different than the normal format of our podcast. There was an editorial posted by the St. Louis Post-Dispatch titled, Expanding Charter Schools to Metro Counties Could Hurt Suburban School Districts. A link to the entire piece will be listed in the description of this podcast. There were portions of it that Susan and Abby took issue with, found misleading or inaccurate. So today I thought what we do is go through those portions. Every time you hear this sound, the next thing you'll hear is me reading a portion of the editorial. You guys ready to get started? I'm ready. Yeah. Charter schools could be coming soon to a suburb near you. Two points to be made there. First of all, the legislature went ahead and filibustered the charter school bill since this editorial was written, which means that somebody was afraid that they had the votes to pass it. And in the Senate, they went ahead and filibustered it. And so uh, this bill is unlikely to pass at this point. But in terms of them coming to a suburb near you, charter schools, there's this misinformation about charter schools in the state of Missouri. The fact is they can be opened anywhere. They're not just limited to Kansas City and St. Louis, but to be opened anywhere outside of those two districts would require that they are sponsored by their local school board. And somehow that piece of information has led people in the state to believe that it would just never happen, that that's an an impossible arrangement, so we'll never have them. But I just want to set the record straight on that. Nationally, fully half of all charter schools, or actually more than 3,500 schools, are sponsored by local school boards. Many, many, uh, actually 90% of sponsors are school boards. And so many of these school boards have found charter schools to be a positive to add to their portfolio in their districts. Denver Public Schools sponsors many, many charter schools. I mean, this has, found, this has been a successful model in other places. And in Missouri, there's it's got this strange connotation that a local school board would never uh, sponsor a charter school. I would like to think that they could be coming soon to a suburb near you. It's perfectly legal. But I do believe that there um, that there's a perception problem. Lawmakers must consider the risk it would pose to some of the strongest public school districts in the state. Yeah, this one is interesting because one of the key components of the bill is that there has to be a community support for the charter schools, which means the only way that they stay open is that people choose to be in the school. If they don't, then the school closes down. And so conversely, if a school district is really high performing and attracts as many people, 100% of the population like they think it does, then the school has no risk per se to the charter school because students are just going to stay there. Charter school performance data over the past 20 years hasn't yielded consistently positive results. So I would say that's completely false. I would want to first point out that Missouri traditional public school performance data over the last 20 years has absolutely not yielded consistently positive results, but be that as it may, charter schools, because of the fact that they're, uh, you know, 20 years ago were brand new, because they're a different institutional structure for public education from the beginning, have been studied and examined and placed under a microscope. Much of the research has been done by the Stanford Center on uh, education outcomes, uh, research on education outcomes, or CREDO. And CREDO has done multiple, multiple studies on charter schools, and they do this in an interesting way. For each charter school student, they create uh, a virtual twin, which is an amalgam of four, five, or six students, or some number of students, that has the um, very, very similar characteristics in terms of their demographics and their performance, and everything else that that would go, go with a student description. 
and they track the uh, performance of the virtual twin alongside the performance of each charter school student. These are large-scale studies. They're very high quality. And the findings were kind of mixed in 2009. They were more positive in 2013 and then even more positive in 2017. But just as an example, one um, consistent finding is that in urban charter schools, students receive, on average, an additional 44 days of learning in math in a 180-day school year than their exactly matched peers, and an additional 28 days of reading in a 180-day school year than their their peers. And again, it, it also indicates that the sector is in a is in a state of continuous improvement. Secondly, I would say there is the National Assessment of Educational Progress, or the nation's report card. And that has been in place, um, essentially, the main NAEP since the early 90s. And this allows state-by-state -state comparison. They also have a nationally representative sample of charter school students and non-charter school students. And we compare the performance of each charter school students 10 or 15 years ago were, were well behind non-charter school students. And as of the most recent data, 2017, they've caught up and they're on a really upward trajectory at both fourth and eighth grade reading and math and poised to surpass non-charter school students. There is a long-term outcome research on the fact that charter school students are more likely to attend and complete college. Uh, there's impact on their median earnings after college. There are meta-analyses. I could go on and on and on about how much charter schools have been studied. And so to say um, hasn't yielded consistently positive results to me is it's also sort of a weird negative way of saying it. But um, I would be happy to provide anyone who's interested and wants to come to showmeinstitute.org any information you would like to see on the research done on charter school performance. It's far from clear whether the demand exists for new educational alternatives outside urban areas. So I'm not a millennial uh, or Gen Z, you are. <laughs> I feel like uh, the, the younger parents today are going to want more choice, not less. And I just don't right. see the clock turning back to where, particularly in, in your Denver, Austin, Arizona, Florida, you know, the places where Indianapolis, where there's lots of school choice. I don't see that clock turning back. And I, I only see Missouri having to catch up. Yeah, exactly. And it's um, especially millennial parents are just coming off the heels of their own education and really reflecting on that and thinking, OK, I know that these certain aspects in my education just didn't work. So how can I make sure that I have options and flexibility in my child's education? And with just one option, the suburban high performing school, you might not get that. Right. And this notion that, that to get it, that you have to move. I think that yeah. that's going to begin to really be a stretch to convince people that the way to get your child into the school that you think is good for them is to yeah. move. Yeah, and I think that should, and it does draw an immediate reaction of like, oh, that, I don't think that makes any sense. Like, right. well, why do I have to go across the street to go find a, like, the school I want? Exactly. Um, especially when it's just as accessible. So uh, the demand is there, mm -hmm. especially when people find out more. The more they find out, the, the more that there's demand. There's so many charter schools that have long waiting lists. I just was reading today about Success Academy in New York, but their CEO just saying it breaks her heart when they do their lottery every year because every child should have a chance to be in a spot in a school that's excellent or that their parents want. The demand is absolutely there, but you know because Missouri parents have been somewhat in the dark and not been getting good or correct information, um, they aren't maybe speaking up and saying we want this, but I think 
once a few charter schools open in districts outside Kansas City and St. Louis, charter schools for more suburban parents um, or, you know, all parents, but like classical models and Waldorf models and personalized learning and project-based learning. Once people get an idea that these are happening everywhere else, I think the demand for them in Missouri also will be, will be strong. Grover's bill wouldn't add additional funding to public education nor adequately address the lack of accountability that has been among the biggest complaints about urban charter schools. Yeah, so it doesn't add more funding. That is that is true because charter schools are public schools and charter school students are public school students and charter school teachers are public school teachers. So it doesn't add more funding. It just determines who controls it, either a local school board or the charter school itself. But in terms of this accountability thing, this is just a head scratcher for me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to repeat it because uh, the um, opposition to charter schools likes to use this point confusingly against charter schools, which is if a charter school is not performing and not filling their seats, which means they aren't going to get enough funding perhaps to run the school, um, they close. And I can't think of any other form of accountability as strong as shutting the doors. So to say that they're not being held accountable, in addition like to this notion that if they're not performing while well, they close, they have they are time limited. So they get a three-year charter or a five-year charter. If they have a proven record of success, they might get a 10-year charter. But they don't have forever to make it work. They have a limited amount of time to make it work so that children aren't exposed to a bad program for um, – like their entire educational career as they might be in, say, the boot heel of Missouri. So, you know, the fact that there are currently no unaccredited districts in the state, there's six provisionally accredited, accredited, uh, no unaccredited, and yet DESE reports that just uh, fewer than half of our high school diploma getters, our high school graduates, are ready for college or their career. I would say that the traditional public schools are not being held accountable. I would say the charter schools are held you know, strictly accountable with the threat of closure. But our traditional public schools stay open forever. And we know that our proficiency rates are on 50%. We know that we have schools and districts with proficiency rates in the single digits, and they are not being held accountable. So I would really push back strongly on that. Charter schools that fail to meet the same educational standards as the local public school district can still be renewed for three years under this proposal. This requires a little bit of clarification because um, the bill would allow for charter schools to stay open if there's community support, even if they perform roughly the same, maybe a little bit over, a little bit under. But if they have community support, they can stay open. Um, so it's not that you have these super low-performing school districts, which is what the editorial kind of makes it out to be, but you actually have um, schools that are just around the same bar as the traditional public schools that they're in. And so they can get community support despite just a little bit under average test scores. And this can be for a variety of reasons among parents and students, um, whether that be the specialized curriculum like we talked about, a different culture, different staff and leadership. Um, so those can all contribute to community support for charter schools. Or a smaller school size. Let's right. say you've got a small high school and the only high school available in the district is a 1,500-student high school, then I could see that there would be community support to keep the small high school open mm -hmm. for the students who really need that type of environment. Yeah, and I think we really underestimate how much people want their education to be fitted to their needs. They want a good education, and maybe they just don't get that in that really large high school because they can't form relationships, they don't see the same teachers, whatever reason it may be. Um, and so I think if we dismiss that, we're really cutting short a lot of students a good education. Yeah, so to take it down to just test scores have to be higher mm -hmm. or the school closes, I mean, that is one form of accountability, and they're certainly held accountable that way, but there's lots of other reasons why there might be community support 
to keep a school open. In 2012, Missouri shut down six Imagine charter schools in St. Louis. Students consistently performed worse on state tests than those attending St. Louis public schools, while Virginia-based Imagine reaped huge profits from a real estate business. There's these uh, stories that people like to return to from the charter school sector because there are some stories of dishonest people doing dishonest things. And Imagine charter schools was for profit, I believe, about... Uh, fewer than 10% of charter schools are for profit. And as um, as time has gone on, uh, that rate has gone down. And charter schools in the pipeline are much less likely to be for profit now. And Imagine was a, was a bad actor. And they're closed and no children in Missouri are attending Imagine charter schools. However, I just want to say that the charter school sector doesn't have a lock on fraud. Okay, so if you Google f- Missouri public school fraud, you get some pretty egregious examples. Uh, Grandview embezzled. million. Uh, A guy in St. Joseph was gaming the teacher pension system to the tune of $660,000. So um, I just think that because, again, charter schools are so scrutinized, when these stories come out, it becomes like this broad brush, like every charter school is potentially rife with fraud, which is just not the case. And the numbers don't bear that out. So they bring up, and this was a long time ago, the schools closed down seven years ago. um, And it just, it refuses to die. Last month, an investigation by Kansas City's WDAF-TV found that then-Attorney General Josh Hawley secretly settled a lawsuit with the charter school the state accused of stealing nearly $4 million in taxpayer money. Uh, And this is another example of charter schools take a hit. Um, So why it was, I don't know about secretly settled, but it was sealed. And uh, it was settled, apparently, uh, because the... The school didn't have an insurance policy. The state was unlikely to recover the money, and Josh Hawley didn't think it was worth additional uh, attorney's fees to figure that out. So it was um, settled. But it also raises the point that, um, and the money was supposedly put into school buildings for the school, raises the point that across the nation, charter schools receive about 72, 72 cents on the dollar. I think it's even a little bit lower than that in Missouri. And Charter schools in states where they're not given capital funding or local share, they have to run the entire school and pay for their building off of the per-student funding formula. Traditional public schools don't have to do that. They just have to use that to run the school. So charter schools uh, almost across the board find that they have to fundraise or find other way to supplement that money if they want to remain operational because they either pay a mortgage or you know they're paying these capital costs out of their current revenue. And the Missouri student funding formula has an incentive for attendance. It's based on attendance, not enrollment. And this has happened with um, traditional public school districts, too. St. Louis public school districts had an audit, and they were inflating attendance numbers. And attendance numbers are sort of the thing that uh, are incentivized in terms of getting additional funding. So I do think it raises the question of whether charter schools should have access to capital funding like they do in very, very many states, um, and if they're fairly funded. So... But again, why this particular case was called out as a reason that parents in Columbia shouldn't have charter schools is is beyond me. About half of the 30-plus charter schools that have opened in St. Louis since 2000 have been shut down for academic or financial failure. I think this is misleading and thinking, oh, all the charter schools have failed or over half of them um, or about half. And But I think what's the point here is that the charter school model is constantly being refined and you're learning from it. And with each one that you're opening, you have a new piece of knowledge where you don't 
traditionally have that in the public school setting where you just they're open and they're open forever um but with charter schools we want the bad ones to close and we want the good ones to succeed and so you have a refining of the quality of schools in the charter school sector and I think it's a relatively, well, it is, it's a pretty young sector mm-hmm. in terms of 25 years. That's not very long in terms of public education. And there was a learning curve. And I know nationally, there were years where a lot of them opened. Um, they weren't as carefully scrutinized as they could have been. And now other states like Texas are sort of cleaning up their their portfolio of charter schools. And so much has been learned about what makes a good school sponsor yeah. and what makes a good school application and I do think that we're in a period of uh, taking what we've learned and making sure that schools are higher quality when they open. The federal government has wasted up to $1 billion on charter schools that never open or opened and then closed because of mismanagement or other reasons, according to the Network for Public Education Advocacy Group. Okay, it's an advocacy group. The article was was being published as research. It isn't research. It's an advocacy group who published this, but I I just want to give a little bit of background on that $1 billion. First of all, I wrote a blog about it. It's on showmeinstitute.org. If you'd like to learn more, you can go there and find out about it. It's a single uh, federal grant program through the office of the charter school office within the U.S. Department of Education. It's called the Charter School Program, and it's been in place since 1994. And they offer planning and implementation grants to people who are uh, in the process of opening a charter school. And... In 2015, a database was released showing, for the most part, each of the grants. They go through the state education agency, like DESE, or they can go through, there's a few other ways that you can get them now. And so they compiled all this information into a database. And when that was released, this uh, group, the Network for Public Education, at that time, published uh, another piece that said they went through it, and $3 billion in planning grants went to schools that never opened. So... This is similar to like a, an SBA loan. You get money to plan the school. There are generally notes in the database about why they didn't open. In some cases, the the groups couldn't find a building. That's a huge problem in the charter school sector. And um, many states, and Missouri is one of them, uh, refuse to make school buildings available to charter schools who want them and are willing to pay for them. But if you can't find a building, it's really a big problem. Uh, also, sometimes they combined with other groups in the in the community or they decided to join a charter school network. There's a variety of reasons of why as to why they got planning money and didn't open. And then the other group in that billion is um, schools that opened and closed. We've talked about that a bunch of times already, but charter schools closed. So when charter schools close, if you go backwards and say, oh, but when before you opened, you got planning money. So that's the purpose of this program. It's seed money. And it's seed money that gives operators an opportunity to find out if their model is going to work, if they're going to be able to find a building. And in some cases, that doesn't happen. Uh, in terms of it being this nice round $1 billion number that keeps being cited, um, that's because they took the last, the 2015 database, they extrapolated it forward. Then they figured about 25% probably didn't open or opened and closed because that's what it was before. They don't have new data. And so it's just conjecture. But I think it plays well in the media that it's a billion dollars. Parents in the districts targeted by Rober's proposal owe it to their children to scrutinize charter schools' performance record and the ways they can weaken their traditional public school system. This is true, actually. Um, we should be a, able to... A true, a true one. I know. We can agree. <laughs> this is something that we should hold all our schools um, up to the same standard of knowing how they do, knowing good information on their performance and other attributes of the school. 
and this includes charter schools just like it does traditional public schools. But the fault is that DESE does not really provide useful information to parents. So it doesn't it's weird to hear them hold up charter schools to this really high standard when traditional public schools are nowhere near that. And it also shines a light on you have this imbalance of information. If you have charter schools up to this higher standard, you have all this information about it. And then you go look for your neighborhood public school and you think, oh, I don't really know how they do on these things. Um, so it just shines another light on how poorly we know little and, about and it. you've looked into school report cards in other states yeah and, and we are the exception like that, let's yeah. be honest other states are trying their are, are trying to put great information into the hands of parents that they can understand and graphs and one pagers easy to find there's a huge difference map of the Missouri. state you just yeah. keep clicking till you find your district mm-hmm. and versus missouri represents it in just numbers that don't make sense a lot of acronyms and jargon so you're looking at it and if I can you can find it, it. Yeah, if you can find it, it takes a lot of clicking in the right buttons and navigating the right way. Um, And then if you can understand it. If you can understand it, it's another battle, too. And so it's just, we should be able to know how our schools are doing, charter schools included. For decades, lawmakers touted charter schools as a way to help students trapped in chronically low-performing districts. But a conservative political movement is afoot to weaken public school education and divert resources to alternative institutions, including private ones. I beg to differ, and here's why. I have worked in this <laughs> sector a long time, 20 years, and I just want to be very clear that I've yet to meet anyone who's trying to dismantle public education. However, in the late 80s, early 90s, there was uh, came to light through research that the structure of public education, the institutional structure itself, was not conducive to quality. And something needed to be done not to just change what was happening inside that structure, but to, in fact, change that structure. And it came from the president of the teachers' union at the time, Al Shanker. And it came from researchers, uh, I think from Stanford, but in a, in a book called Politics, Markets, and America's Schools, and researchers at University of Washington on reinventing public education. So no one wants to dismantle it, but yeah, people do want to reinvent it. And people do want to provide opportunities for innovation that come from not just within the system, but from without, you know, outside the system or tap what teachers can provide in terms of innovation and giving them an opportunity to try what what they know. So I don't, I I completely disagree that there is any sort of a movement that's coordinated in any way to dismantle public education. There's no communication channels happening or anything. Um, but in the price, in the process of doing that and, and giving parents choice, what emerged early was that the parents who were most desperate for it were those in chronically low-performing urban districts. And the ideas that emerged early were for serving those students who had been somewhat treated by the public school system as like very difficult to educate. But people had ideas and people had ideas that turned into KIPP to serve just those students. And those ideas have worked. And they've disproven the fact that those kids couldn't learn. So that is one sector that has really thrived in the charter school sector, but in the charter school movement. But it's not the only one. And it wasn't it never was intended to to dismantle public education. The performance record of charter schools is far too spotty to merit expansion beyond urban settings. Rober's bill proposes a potentially bad fix for something that might not even be broken. Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, I think, first of all, it's really hard to read the first sentence of thinking it's far too spotty to merit expansion beyond urban settings. Like, what's the difference at that point between urban settings and suburban settings? And it's just uh, very uncomfortable to read um, and to think that they can, maybe something that might work can only be okay in urban settings, but don't touch the shiny suburban settings. (laughs) I think 
Oh it just it's very strange. Um, and also for the second part of that, for fixing something that's not even broken, it doesn't have to be broken for students to want something else. If it's not broken, if it has a great football team and great math and STEM curriculum, but the student wants foreign language, and that doesn't mean it's broken. They just want a different option. Um, I think that is largely ignored throughout this piece, but also we don't know if it's not broken or if it needs fixing, um, and that's largely due to a lack of information. But with that, we just want to provide students with the right education that fits their needs. So it's not about fixing or dismantling the public school system. It's just providing students with more options. And that concludes the editorial. So again, the entire editorial, titled Expanding Charter Schools to Metro Counties Could Hurt Suburban School Districts, will be linked in the description of this podcast. To learn more about those charter schools that could be coming soon to a suburb near you, go to uh, showmeinstitute.org. And you can find more Show Me Institute podcasts on SoundCloud slash Show Me Institute and on Apple Podcasts. Dr. Susan Pendergrass and Abby Barilla, thank you very much. Thank you, Zach. Thank you.